serving um, to say thank you for your service, but I want to extend a gratitude even beyond that to those of you moms and dads, brothers, sisters, grandma and grandpas, to the entire family. I recognize today that you as well make a sacrifice, so thank you for your service and dedication to that. Before we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to have just a Quick family conversation, if we can do that this morning. There are a couple things that I saw and and heard and experienced this week that I was convicted. The Lord worked in my heart and stirred that it was a time as lead pastor here at ACAC that I needed to address our church family. One day, um, one of the responsibilities of being a shepherd of a local congregation is that I'm going to stand before God and give an account to the way in which I shepherd and led this local congregation. And while I'm not responsible for the larger body of Christ and other families, I am to an extent this one. We had an election on Tuesday, and all of us recognize the polarization and division that can bring. And regardless of who you voted for or whether you were happy, sad, angry, or joyful, whatever it may be, what troubles me is when I see and hear Christ followers resort to name-calling of either those who were elected or those who voted or didn't vote for. Things like, you know, how could you be so dumb to vote for this person? Or are you, insert whatever name. And it happens in the body of Christ. And it shouldn't be so. Uh, Earlier this week as well, I was with a group of pastors and one of those pastors um, serves as the chaplain to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he shared with me a troubling story where one of the members of the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, he invited to church during the bye week last weekend. Um, Not specifically to this church, but invited him to join him for church. He's a Christ follower, this member of the team is. And the member of the team declined out of fear over what would be said to him. And I want you to think about that. This man did not feel comfortable in walking in the front doors of a church out of fear of what would be said. Now, I could talk about the idolization that we have with sports or politics or whatever it may be. But church family, may I remind you that our words either speak life or they speak death. Proverbs says as much. And that we will reap the fruit of what we sow from our tongue. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 
was speaking to the religious people of the day. Not the unreligious, not those who didn't believe in God, but those who taught the word of God. And he said to them this, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Jesus continued and said, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So my challenge to all of us today is that the things we say and the things we say digitally... May we be a people who give life. Will you commit to to God today that we will do that corporately together, that we won't fall into that trap? If you will, would you say amen? amen? Thank you. So today we continue to look at this peculiar book called Ecclesiastes. And last week we looked at chapter one and chapter two and the idea of Hebel, that life is not pointless, even though many of our Bibles use the word meaningless or vanity, that the Hebrew understanding of that word is hebel, and it means a vapor or a breath, or it's like chasing the wind. And it's that the teacher was teaching us that life is short. Life can be elusive, and life is repetitive. And with that in mind, God wants us, his children, to recognize that life is a gift to be enjoyed. It's not a gain to be earned. We're going to turn our eyes today to chapter 3. And the first half of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes is going to sound very familiar to you. It's often read at funerals and it's quoted by those who both believe in Jesus and even those who do not. And much like the phrase, life is meaningless, that we talked about last week, this section of poetry in Ecclesiastes 3, a season for everything, a time for everything, it can be misunderstood or wrongly interpreted. So here's what I'd like us to do. Occasionally I do this. I'm going to invite all of us to stand today. We are going to read God's word together. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Don't worry about what translation you have. Um, If you don't, that's okay. They're going to put it up here on the screen. But let's read God's word together. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Verse 1 through 8, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything, there is a season... A time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill, to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. And a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear down. To be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is your word. And it is alive. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do your work in us today. That our ears, our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open. 
that the transformation and sanctification that needs to happen in us would occur. We look to you. Eliminate any distractions today so that we can focus our eyes solely on you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So hopefully you received your Legos when you came in today. You got two or three person, per, two or three pieces. And the idea is not that today's message is going to be boring, so we want to keep you entertained. At least I pray that is not the case. Uh, we're going to mention this, and we'll come back to it at the end. But how many of you love Legos? Love Legos? Yeah. How many of you have played with Legos? Parents, you... Uh, My guess is, parents, you have a love-hate relationship with Legos. One, because there is nothing worse than walking downstairs or through the house in the middle of the night barefoot, and you step on one of those, and then you really have to ask for forgiveness for the words that come out of your mouth. You also probably have a love-hate relationship with Legos because your kids want them for Christmas, and then you buy it, and you realize how long it is going to take to put that together. So you know the next two to three hours is going to be spent putting those together. It made me think this week is, I I wonder what the largest Lego sets are that are out there. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Probably not, but you're going to get some useless information this morning. So here are the four largest Lego sets available today. This one I didn't know about. I had never seen it. It is the Lego Art World Map. And so, technically speaking, from a piece standpoint, there are 11,000 pieces in this world map, a Lego set. And the cool thing about it is when you put it all together, apparently you can hang it on the wall and use it as art decor. So Christmas idea number one. The second largest, although it is largest in size, is Lego Titanic. It is one of the biggest Lego sets, as I explained. It's four and a half feet long. And there are 9,090 pieces in that Lego set. The third one is the Lego Roman Colosseum. I think this is really cool. The engineering and the Lego architects that designed these are spectacular. 9,036 pieces in Lego Roman Colosseum. And here's the fourth one. Probably this is on a few Christmas lists this year. Lego Star Wars Millennium Falcon. Man, how many of you dreamed as that as a kid? Dreamed for that as a kid. 7,541 pieces. And parents, I will warn you, if your kids put that on their Christmas list, the price tag is $850. You done lost your mind paying $850. Next year, all those Legos are going to be in a plastic container in the attic. How many know what I'm talking about? Spending $850 on a Lego set. Crazy. So I, I, asked, I asked our staff if anybody had any Lego sets. And so this is not a staff person, but somebody who's helping us here at the church. This is the 1989, they put a picture up here so you can see it, 1989 Lego Batmobile. Now, rumor has it, It might have been a family member of some people on the worship team. I'm going to leave that as a mystery for you. And I heard after the last service that there were shifts that people took in the family to put this together. There are 3,308 pieces. And the cool thing is they also gave me the instruction manual. I mean, that's about as thick as my Bible. 
Look at this. I mean, can you imagine the time that it took to put together? I think there are 432 pages of instructions. Now, if any of you have ever built a Lego set, and my guess is most of you have, you know that you only get to this result. You only have success when you build it piece by piece, using each one, each piece in all the right places, in all the right ways, at just the right time. If you're trying to make the Lego set look like the front of the box or the picture that's on the blueprint, how many know going freestyle ain't gonna work? (laughs) You have to follow the instructions. Our lives often resemble Lego sets, resemble Lego sets. They're made up of different pieces, our lives are. We have a piece that is made up of people that come in and out of our lives. Events that happen to us, circumstances, places, and they're all being locked together to make up our individual stories. Sometimes we don't see the significance of the really small, tiny piece until years and years later. Sometimes we feel like there's a piece missing. How many have ever felt like that? I just, there's a void. There's a piece that's missing. And God, what are you doing? And sometimes in the joyful moments, the pieces do just lock perfectly into place and it brings us great joy. The difference though between real life and constructing Lego sets is that we are not the one with the blueprint. We're not the one with the box that has what it's supposed to look like laid out before us. God is. Now, he gives us individual pieces in our hands. And he has given us his word, the Bible, that helps us and gives us instructions to begin the building process. But only he has the master plan. Only he has the final blueprint. We're building our lives to the best of our ability with the pieces that we have. We have an idea of how we want it to turn out. We take those pieces and we snap them together and we go, Lord, I'd love for it to look like this. There's hope. But at the end of the day, we realize that we're really out of control, that we don't have control over all of those pieces. Only God does. Ecclesiastes 3 is going to teach us this, that we must learn to order the pieces of our life according to God's blueprint, God's instruction, not ours. Without going back into the entire eight verses, that poetry section that we read, it begins with saying that there's a season for everything. For everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Again, things, uh, seasons and times where we're born, where we die, a time to plant, And a time to harvest. The Bible says there's a time to kill. And a time to heal. A time to go to war. A time for peace. A time to love. And is the Bible saying that there's a time for us to hate? But I thought we weren't supposed to hate. As I mentioned earlier, this portion of scripture has often been misinterpreted. These eight verses of poetry, hear this, they are descriptive of life. They're not prescriptive. And what I mean by that, the Bible is not contradictory. It's not contradicting itself. 
God is not giving us, the teacher is not giving us specific instructions on how we should act. He's not prescribing to us certain behaviors saying there is a time where you should hate and a time where you should love. That's not the point. The point is not there is a time to go to war and a time to go to a peace or a time to kill and a time to heal. It is descriptive of the human experience in God's word, all, God's world. All of us experience joy and pain of seasons. Think about the times where we celebrate the birth of a child. Only a few days later, a few weeks later, a few months later, time later, we mourn the death of a loved one. We experience the joy of the harvest, the fruit of our hard work, while also experiencing the planting, the sweat equity, the investing in a better future. We have relationships that in some moments are sweet, they are healthy, and they are encouraging, while at other times, and it seemed to can change so quickly, those very same relationships, we can experience friction, and it can be frustrating. We experience peaceful moments in this life where there is energy, excitement, and momentum is building, and then all of a sudden, one day, everything seems to change, and everything seems to be a battle, and it's draining physically, emotionally, spiritually. These descriptive seasons of our life, the teacher is poeticizing them. So we have to take those eight verses at the beginning of chapter 3 and make sure that we filter them through the second half of chapter 3. So as you read chapter 3, make sure you are filtering those first eight verses through the second half. So let's look at that second half of the chapter of Ecclesiastes 3. In verse 11, the teacher says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity into the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. A lot that is said in there, and we can't miss it. So I'm going to split this into two parts. The first part of that verse, the teacher said, God made everything beautiful for its own time. God gives us the pieces. He gives us the seasons. He gives us the chapters beautiful for its own time. If you are a parent, you recognize that your children's frustration with you often occurs because you see a bigger picture than they do. How many know what I'm talking about? Your kids don't understand. It's not parents don't understand, said Jazzy Jeff. It's the kids don't understand. And the kids don't understand because you see a bigger picture. You have the bigger goals and the aspects. You know what's on the front of the box and where you're going, and the kids don't. So when you make decisions for your kids, when they have seasons of here's what you can eat, here's what you can't eat, here's what you can wear, here's what you can't wear, here's when you need to be home, here's when you can go and what you can't do, you know what I'm talking about. Their frustration is because they don't see what the parents do. And although they don't recognize it, it's meant to provide our children security, protection, and freedom, the best kind of freedom. Freedom because they don't have to stress about putting food on the table. Freedom from the stress of having to provide the money to buy the clothes or the home that they live in. And it also provides them freedom from the consequences of the bad decisions you know they will make. But adult Jesus followers also need to recognize the relationship with our Heavenly Father is similar. 
We are like children when it comes to our own lives and God's ordering of them. Part of being wise, part of growing in your faith, part of becoming an adult spiritually is accepting that we have a very limited view. We, have, we don't have the box that has the picture at the end. We don't have the final blueprint. Only God does. Yet, we want access to seeing the big picture. We're like the little kid that goes, why? Why can't we go through McDonald's? Why can't I have that for Christmas? Why do I have to be home at 11 p.m.? We ask, why? there's a burning desire that's in us that wants to understand. And that's the second half of this verse. The teacher says that he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That he has planted eternity in the hearts of every human being. When we look back at the pieces of our life in the past, we want to go, God, why did you give me that piece? Why did I go through that? Why did I lose that loved one? What was the point of that? But then we also look ahead and we go, God, tell me where I'm going. Can you give me the idea? Can you give me the picture at the end? I just want to know how it's all worked out. Eternity is put into our hearts, but people cannot see the whole scope of what God is doing. The teacher is saying, look, God is not bound by time the way you and I are. While we seek to understand and see the whole picture, we cannot. Only God can. God intends us to be like children who trust their parents to know what's best because they can see what the children cannot. And here's the thing. The relationship of trust between a child and a parent is based upon the character of the parent. When there is trust between a child and a dad, child and a mom, there is trust because of the character of the parent. And this is significant for us because we know, or we should, and we should trust the character of God. So when we get pieces we don't like or don't know what to do with or have seasons that we go through, we lean on knowing the character of our Father, that he is good, that he is holy, that he is worthy, that he is our savior, our provider, our healer. He wants what's best for us, even though we don't know how the pieces snap together. Yet in our lives, we experience contradictions. If God is good, then why do I see and experience unfair suffering, pain, tragedy, and injustice? Well, the teacher experienced the very same thing as well in Ecclesiastes, and he talks about it. In verse 16, he calls it out. He said, I noticed under the sun there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are correct. Corrupt. How many of you have ever felt like that? Of course. We see it all the time. Even in the courtroom, there is injustice. There is evil and there is pain. So not only are we wired to see the big picture, but we are hardwired with a longing for justice. We are hardwired to see things made right. Parents who have seen the death of a child due to murder. 
if you do not give them justice, a grieving parent justice, for the murder of their children, watch the holy anger that will arise. We have seen it in our world. We have certainly seen it in our country, and we see it today. You trample on someone's rights. You remove someone's dignity. You stomp on someone's self-worth. You will see a holy indignation that lasts for decades with devastating effects. And all of us deep down in our hearts know that the world is not meant to be like this. So we ask, will there ever be a time for justice? And the teacher answers that question. After saying in one breath there is evil in the courtroom, he speaks and says, in due season, God will judge everyone. Both good and bad for all of their deeds. God will judge everyone. Every moment, every injustice, every good moment, every bad moment will have its day in court, the teacher says. Now this should challenge us to live righteous lives. And it should help us through difficult times when we see and when we experience injustice. So what's the purpose in all of this? What's God's purpose? The teacher tells us in verse 14, he says, I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose, God's purpose of every season, God's purpose of every time, even in the injustice of the world, God's purpose is that people should fear him. Now let's talk about fearing God. To fear the Lord, it's a common theme throughout the Bible. Fear, for those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, there should be adequate fear. That one day you are going to stand before God and give an account for your actions. So there is a holy fear that you better know where you are going to spend eternity. Each and every one of us at some point is going to stand before God. And if you have not placed your faith in Christ, if you are not under the blood of Jesus, you will either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. So there is a fear, an honest fear For those who do not know and have placed their faith in Christ. But for the follower of Jesus, the one who is covered by the blood of the Lamb, there is not a fear of mistakes you have made. Your sins are covered, both the ones you have made and the ones that you have yet to make. You are under the blood of Jesus. That fear now turns into a holy reverence, a holy awe, a holy submission and obedience recognizing that God is good. God uses all of this to drive us closer to him, not to push us away. The apostle Peter said in his first letter to the church, he compared us to Legos in some way. He called us living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. God gives us pieces. And in those pieces, we are using his word to order them to the best of our ability. But as I've said, we don't see the final picture. And then God takes our stories, our pieces, and he builds them together corporately as a whole. And together, the family of God, the church of God, is a spiritual temple. 
Life's complexity and randomness isn't to make us doubt God, but to change us. But here's what we often do. We try to use God for our benefit. In the pieces that he gives us, we want to fit God into our plans. Well, God, I I think this piece should go there. I really wish you would give me this piece here because then I could do that. And I could just see this is the picture that I have. And God is saying, no, I have the final blueprint. And we must learn to order the pieces of our life according to his blueprint, not ours. Most of our frustrations rise because, like our kids, they can't, we can't see the bigger picture. But satisfaction comes when we accept the boundaries, when we accept that although we have eternity in our heart, we can't see the meaning of the past and we can't see what's going to happen in the future. I'd like you to take those Lego pieces and put them in your hand, whatever ones you have. Here's what I want you to do. I don't know what pieces God has given you or what pieces you may feel like you're missing from God today. But as you look at these pieces in your hand, I want them to be representative of something in your life. It could be a broken relationship. Maybe it's a a ceiling of healing. It's going well, a season of planting or harvesting. Maybe it's a season of being teared down. Maybe it's a relationship with a child that you don't have. Maybe one of those pieces in your hand is a doctor report that you or a loved one received this past week. And cancer came knocking on your door. Maybe it's a piece of mourning. We had a wife and mother in our church this week, I believe in her mid-50s, who died of cancer. And there's a family that's trying to order a piece. Whatever that is, I want you to take these pieces home. Maybe put them in your car. Maybe put them on your desk at work. And when the enemy comes and has you question God or you're thinking about the pieces and trying to order it, I want you to look at them and recognize that it's God who has the blueprint. And surrender and say, Lord, I don't, I'm doing my best to order these, but would you help me trust you? I know your character. I know you're good. I know you're a loving God. I know like my kids don't see and understand and ask why. I'm in the same boat. But Father, I want to trust you more. And may they be a reminder to you to look to him. Stand to your feet this morning and hold those pieces in your hand. I just want to pray over you. Do this with me. God, we hold in our hands cheap little plastic toys (laughs) called Legos. Lord, I learned this week that that word actually is Latin that means I build. Our nature is to take them and build our our own piece, our own set. But I pray that you would take them and you would build. So Lord, fill in the gaps, bring hope and understanding, be over every situation that's in this room and may we trust you because we know your character, that you're a good God who loves us and you're worthy of our trust. 
Would you sing this with me? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know the Savior. Come on, sing this with me. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace. To trust him more. May you trust God with the pieces that he is giving you. And may we speak life this week. Amen. God bless you.